as we were getting ready this morning and practicing stuff, I, I commented it as a perfect song for um, this text because it's really what Jesus told uh, Mary and Martha when they sent word that Lazarus was sick. He said, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's no big deal. And then he died. And it's like, okay, um, that's not okay. And so that's kind of where our text started this morning. And, uh, and uh, we are in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village um, of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. <laughs> Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. <coughs> Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. They, they didn't get nuance. You, do you realize that? They were far too serious and literal about how Jesus spoke. They didn't get it. Sarcasm didn't work with them. You know people like that. You might be one of those people. You're not laughing. Okay. All right, let's keep moving. Um, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Um, I guess the word there is just resignation that, that Thomas and the rest are resigned to the fact that Jesus is on a suicide mission and they might as well go die with them. They've got nothing else left. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Mary said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She um, had been influenced by teachings that were common in that time, uh, particularly among those, the Essenes and others that, 
that believed in the resurrection. There was a Jewish faction that believed in the resurrection. It had nothing to do with Jesus, but they believed it. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. There's still sort of this moment where you don't know exactly what she believes about Jesus. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both believed Jesus had healing power, didn't they? They both believed that if Jesus had been there, all he needed to do, they'd seen it, that he could heal people that were sick, and their brother had been sick. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. There's just a few times when we read in uh, the Gospels, it, it'll talk about Jesus being deeply moved. There's at this point, and then there's the point at which he looks out at, at uh, Jerusalem later on in the Gospel, and Jesus will be deeply moved. He will grieve, and then he weeps. And he's seeing people weeping here, grieved, unconsolably. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? Have kept this? Could he who opened the eyes of a blind man not have kept this one from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. What does it remind you of? Coming in the next few weeks, we'll celebrate Easter, and this is one of those moments. It's a foreshadowing of things to come. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha and the sister of the dead man, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always, I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him 
and let him go. I always liked it when Sunday school classes did this. You know, they take toilet paper and wrap, each, wrap up the Sunday school teacher. Um, we're just glad that they, once they had them face covered, that they also didn't tie them up and leave them there. Um, but that's what they do. And then they'd say, Lazarus, come out, and the teacher would break forth, the kid would break forth out of the toilet paper wrapped around them. This isn't like that at all. So let's look at the story a little bit. So Lazarus was ill. He was sick, really sick. And Jesus says to Mary, Martha, and the disciples, this isn't fatal. Wait two days, and in the meantime, it proved fatal, as we understand it. And then Jesus says, let's go to Bethany, however dangerous it is something great is going to happen. The disciples anticipate doom and they kind of say, well, whatever, we're in. Whatever's going to happen, we'll be there with you. What else do we have to do? When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. She says, you know, I know in the last day that'll happen. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live and those who believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I guess the question is not a rhetorical one. It's a question that Jesus asked you and me today as Jesus had asked the disciples then, as Jesus had asked Mary and Martha, do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in Jesus will never die. That life will go on. Do you believe it? In Tom Wright's book, John for everyone he recounts the section he says you know they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said to the father um, father I thank you for having heard me I think this is just an interesting moment because when the stone is rolled back how does Jesus know that God has heard him how does he know well there, all the details are there if you're a, if you watch enough mystery television, if you watch enough Britbox and Acorn, um, British shows, you'll know that there's a clue here, and the clue is that there's no stench coming out of the, the cave. So Jesus, when the stone is rolled away, and everybody's wondering, oh, you don't want to do that. 
looks upward and says, thank you for hearing me. The confirmation is already there before I see a thing. When the stone is rolled back, there's no stench. Father, thank you for having heard me. Jesus has been praying, and God has listened to Jesus' prayers. And then he makes this statement, I knew you always hear me or heard me. For Jesus, it's a statement of faith, isn't it? It's a confirmation that when Jesus prays, God is listening and hears Jesus' prayers. Jesus was waiting, but not doing Jesus, how do I do this without a double negative? Jesus was simply not doing anything. Jesus wasn't doing nothing. I have to use a double negative. Jesus was active. He was active doing what? Praying. Jesus was active praying. Now, um, when we were, we had uh, Chelsea, our youngest daughter, um, was, um, had a little heart defect when she was, uh, born and they discovered it and so at some point we're gonna have to take care of this and um, and our pediatrician and stuff was great and we trusted her immensely in these things and and um, and I'm probably getting my stories mixed up but she uh, said to us at some point and I think it might have been when our oldest daughter had croup but it applies to both situations she says you know we can do more than pray because she knew what I did. She knew what I did for a living. Well, you, you can do more than pray. We can be active. And to some people's minds, and I think even in us as Christians, the praying feels like we're doing nothing. Like, I would say, pray for the Ukraine. And some of you go, oh, yeah, pray for the Ukraine. You're resigned to pray for it, but you don't actually expect anything to happen. That's what gets back to this moment where Jesus asked Mary and Martha and the others, do you really believe this about me? Do you really? Do you expect things to happen or not? I was at a church outside Atlanta, um, big uh, African-American church predominantly, and uh, in worship in one of the, uh, they met in this dome that seated 15,000 people. They had two services that filled this thing. And um, it was huge. And, so, um, and, uh, and they uh, had on uh, every aisle, they had a Kleenex box. Why? It wasn't so people could take out a hanky and wave it. It was that they anticipated that people would be moved every week they came to worship. And they were prepared for people to be moved and changed and challenged. They actually believed God was going to do something in their midst. Prayer is not doing nothing. We know because we watch Jesus. Jesus gets to the cave and says, Lazarus, come out! And this is how Tom Wright describes it. The dead man comes out, it's a heart-stopping moment. 
of shuddering horror and overwhelming joy. Can you imagine being there and out walks this person who's covered up in cloth and he's been wrapped for burial? Mixed together like dark mud and liquid gold, all this is hugely important. If we don't feel its power and find ourselves driven to awe and thanks and hope, then either we haven't learned to read or listen, or we have a heart to stone. If we can read this story and not be overwhelmed by it, then we've not learned to read or listen, or we have hearts of stone. That's what resignation does. It hardens our hearts. When I said earlier we need to pray for healing for someone, I mean it. I believe that's what God wants. I believe that God, that's what God wants us to do. I believe God wants us to pray for the healing of this congregation. I believe God wants us to pray for the resurrection of our ministries and mission. I believe God wants us to dream the biggest dreams we can and put it right in God's hands. I don't know how it's going to happen. But God's given us a responsibility, something to do. Are we on our knees? Do we hear this story? Does it move our hearts? How do we hear this text? How many times have we heard it and we walk away unchanged? Thinking that it's some future promise at the end of our lives. That's nothing to do with that. And everything to do with what's happening right now. A down payment on the future for sure. But it's intended to be lived now. The purpose of the New Testament is to tell the story of Jesus, to equip Jesus' followers to embody the news of Jesus. To do so in the world, in a word and in deed, being and doing just like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's the reason for this New Testament that we have. To introduce us to Jesus, not, for, not to give us little gems for living so we can get by when things get hard, but to give us the big story of what God's really up to and invite us to do the same things that Jesus is doing. That's what we've been invited into. How does it happen? What underlies the truth of this text is first, it's about faith. I knew, God, that you heard me. Father, I knew you heard me when I spoke and asked. And we would say that's faith or trust. It's about waiting. Jesus didn't rush into the moment anxiously and say, I've got to get down to Bethany. Jesus waited. He waited, not taking anxious action 
I think some of the missteps that we all take as churches and as individuals that we get anxious and we just want to solve the anxiety of the moment and we rush ahead without thinking of what the consequences or unintended consequences might be. We want to do good things, but we rush into it because we're anxious and we want to accomplish and get rid of the anxiety in us. So we push forward. Americans are really good at that. We're not good at waiting. We're really good at pushing forward with an idea to solve the feeling I have of being anxious. But waiting is an action, a non-anxious action. It's an action of trust. The second action here is prayer. Thanks, you heard me. Jesus had been praying the whole time he was waiting. I want you all to know that the leadership of your church is praying for all of us. And there are others in this church that pray for all of us. And though you may not see progress made in certain areas that you want, it's that we're trying not to rush anxiously ahead just to solve our anxiety. We want to be prayerful people waiting on God so we know what the right thing is to do and then take action. So here it is. As Jesus' followers... Faith, wait for God to act, but don't abandon your prayer. Faith, wait. Trust that God's taking care of things even when you're not acting. Pray as though the outcome depends upon your prayers. This has been described to me by my spiritual director as, as what he calls um, two things. Trustful surrender, which is waiting. So when AA or somebody else like that, a 12-step program, tells you uh, that, that you should um, uh, let go and let God, they're basically saying, listen, you need to practice trustful surrender. Let go. There's going to come a time this week in our household where there's not one more thing we can do. And this wedding will happen with or without us. And it, we hope it's with us. And we'll get through it, right? Well, think about how that applies to harder things in life. Trustful surrender. Really believe. You do it every night when you go to bed. That the world will still be here when you wake up. That's trustful surrender. I let go of my control and I trust. There's another half to it though and it's called responsible striving. That yes, I need to not just wait back and do nothing. But what many consider doing nothing, I need to engage, I need to pray. And trust that God hears my prayers. 
That's the work of Christian people. It's this idea uh, that we find in Exodus 11 when um, the uh, people of Israel are going through the Red Sea and there's this moment where, uh, where Moses says, stop, be still, and see the mighty acts of God. And then God speaks to Moses and says, what are you doing? Stop, get going. T.S. Eliot picks up on it and he writes and he says, it's this idea of be still and still moving. That this is what we talk about when we talk about trustful surrender and responsible striving. Be still and still moving. If y'all can master that, let me know. It's really hard to do. But it's the right thing to be striving towards. Trust God with everything. Everything believes on, everything depends upon God. Pray as though everything depends upon you. That's how C.S. Lewis would say it. Somewhere in the middle of that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This morning, we come to this table, and as we prepare for it, I want you to see this video. <laughs> 